0: The free-for-all roundtable.
1: Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think.
0: Round one.
1: Plenty to talk about, so let's have at it. Robert Turner is here, News Talk 1010 personality. Amanda Galbraith, principal at Navigator Communications and Strategies, also the host of Free for All Fridays. Toronto City Councillor Shelley Carroll is here as well. And notable, of course, that you are the budget chief. So I think this is the first time you and I talk since this whole thing blew up with the federal liberals being all mad.
0: Oh yes. What yeah. did you do to Yvonne Baker, <laughs> man? Show me well,
1: on the I'll tell doll. You what
2: I have done for him in the past is campaigned for him in Etobicoke. <laughs> are you mad? Uh, no, I I just hope that at some point in time he wants to sit down and be walked through how the bills are being paid. And maybe I can also give him a little one-on-one on what property taxes are supposed to be for and what income tax
1: are supposed to be for. Okay, but he's not alone. I mean, there was a, a named MP in the star profile who joined Jerry Agar's show. And I've been talking with other MPs and they all seem to be on the same page. I don't understand why but there we are.
2: Well, I'm sorry that 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 they're they're also upset. And I get that they're all on the same page, but my experience from a ton of engagement for the last couple of months, uh, thousands and thousands of people in the telephone town hall. They're not on the same same page as Torontonians who all universally understand that something like a global migration crisis and asylum-seeking and refugee claimants is not a proper property tax expense. They're not on that page. That's where Torontonians are.
1: Listen, to something else that came up in last night's town hall meeting, and you've been participating in these? I mean, do you sit there with yeah, a Yeah, I've been hosting or? them. You've been hosting them? Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. Some um, people say I should have your job.
1: <laughs>
0: sure, okay. <laughs> I could sleep in. We can talk after the show, go. Shelley, if you want to do some shifts. I have openings. Or
1: I could go drinking late into the night. This is what came up last <laughs> night. Until 6 a.m. Drinking until 6 a.m. Are you on board for that? Oh,
2: God bless Charles Kabuth for trying, but that that's <laughs> just not where we are as a city anymore. It, there was a t- time when hardly anyone lived downtown, and if you were, you were probably an alternative sort of person, and that made sense. But this is a dense city now, and people live everywhere, cheek by jowl with, with offices and businesses and places of entertainment, and we, we've got to find a way to coexist. And I don't think staying open till 6 a.m. is it.
1: Okay. Well, Amanda Galbraith, we argued as if it was going to be culture changing about beer at the corner store. So this seems to be a bridge even further.
3: Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I think it's fine if people want to. I mean, I, I get the point around what what Council Carol's mentioning that you know condos next to clubs and that kind of thing. But at the same time, if you're moving into King West or whatever, like you start to know what you're getting into. Like I live right on Queen Street on a twenty four seven streetcar line. You hear them at three in the morning, but you just kind of figure out how to live with it. Um, I feel like giving businesses more options it makes sense to me. I don't have a huge issue. I also don't think it's like the end is nigh and we'll have a bunch of, like, drunk zombies wandering around in the streets of Toronto at 6am, so I think we should treat people like adults in this city and give them options.
1: Robert Turner, it amuses me that this discussion is happening happening
0: between a bunch of people who can barely stay up until midnight.
3: <laughs> yeah, seriously, I haven't, been,
0: I haven't been to an establishment where you don't color on the menu in forever, so I don't know. Um, but, I, I would just say, like, we move it for, oh, the World Cup's happening, so now we gotta, we gotta muck with it, because this week it's okay to drink at a different hour. Or, oh, the, the beautiful people from Hollywood are here so they can drink later. I just think if you're going to if it's if we're going to make exceptions then it's not that big a rule anyway. And it might make sense to have some limited licenses where you say hey look, here we're going to do this and try it out and see if it works. Uh, as far as the disruption it may cause, there's already a lot of disruption
2: in downtown Toronto. Yeah, but if you'd asked for like Montreal hours, which is at what I think three AM or something at 24 like that. Now, but six AM is that's a big leap at the same time when as a result of this night economy stuff, we are expanding the ability to have clubs in parts of the city that haven't previously. And so, you know, let's do some change and let's monitor and then maybe do more change
1: doesn't look like the government's going to blink in Ottawa, so today is the drop-dead day for COVID SIBA loans. These are loans in the thousands of dollars that were made to all kinds of businesses. I know we obsess with restaurants and bars, but all kinds of businesses. And if it's not paid back as of today, then the interest rate starts kicking in and some loan forgiveness is taken away. Robert Turner, we've been sort of banging the drum about this for the last couple of months in defense of those businesses and establishments that we know that are probably up against the wall, but there may be a lot of people
0: listening right now who are saying, you got the money, you made it through COVID, pay the money back. Well, and some people paid it back. Um, but I mean, some of these, and some of these businesses were uniquely crushed by COVID in ways that others weren't. Yeah. Right. And if you could separate those out, that'd be great. I don't know. You're going to have to end it at some point though, right? And we all know businesses, especially hospitality businesses like restaurants, you know, you talk to people who, well, we just opened up during the pandemic. A lot of those would have closed whether the pandemic had happened anyway, right? That's just the nature of that business. It's a very tough business to be in. But I'm just glad I don't have to make this decision because yep. I want to help them. But I also understand fiscally it's probably not prudent. What I'm wondering is if some of these bars and restaurants converted themselves to be like bar, restaurant, and EV vehicle development, then the government would throw <laughs> as much money out of it as you want. <laughs> okay. Amanda Galbraith, of course
1: we're going to be sympathetic to people who are saying that they could go out of business as a result of this. But, you know, business is about balancing the books and maybe some of them weren't going to make it anyway.
3: Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I'm with Robert. By the way, let's have EV restaurants all the uh, all the way. But I, I do, I do feel like, yeah, you know, at some some point you have to pay it back for sure. Um, but I think there are to the point there are certain industries, and I actually feel like, given the army of bureaucrats in Ottawa, like they are capable of this. Like there could be a program. Like a, I'm sure there could be a program where if you demonstrate like great duress or whatever there's an extension everybody else it's like it's come due right or my business was shut down x more days than whatever so i, I do feel like if we put some maybe more thought into this um we could just be a bit more than a blanket rule because you know the cfib's been really aggressive on and i like I, I take what they say with a lot of credibility um so i think you know we have to be understanding that a lot of these businesses still on our feet
1: no, okay, Shelley Carroll, your thoughts.
3: It's it's
2: this is a really tough one for the sure. federal government. It was so great uh, for us to save our main streets that they did this in the first place, was just amazing. But the problem, the problem that they're facing, and I really feel for them, is that on the second deadline, they said we actually will forgive, but we'll forgive twenty grand if you pay up the rest. And some businesses really moved heaven and earth to do that. Some went and financed loans in a bank. To pay back all the rest, just to get the forgiveness. So now they're in a, a real equity challenge, and so you know they've got to go past today's deadline. And then I think we're we're gonna we're gonna hear from people who are looking for them to okay. There's just us left. We need a counseling program or some sort of agreement, and maybe that's what the federal government plans to do after the deadline. It's not just restaurants. So it's it's weirdly impacted businesses like sure. dry cleaners. A lot of dry cleaners took SIBO loans. And then everybody stopped needing to dry clean their suits. They were doing their jobs in their sweatpants. And so they, they found we'll get back on track as soon as the lockdown's over. But a lot of people have changed their whole work lifestyle. So do we say maybe we just don't need so many dry cleaners and let them go broke? I do don't know if that's uh, uh, the best way for the federal government to partner with business.
1: It, it is a toughie though and I would agree yeah. with you that I think we are, this is not just about COVID, this is a complete restructuring of the nature of our economy and so we can't necessarily say we got to get everything back to where it was pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, the latest case to be uh, dismissed is a gun case and once again there's a lack of judges at Toronto Superior Court. Amanda, I don't know how, like how do you end up with a judge shortage? It pays really well. Lots of people want to be judges. Just find them.
3: Because government has to appoint them. It's brutal, actually, because I'm currently like about to be in a, anyway, some lawsuit related to a home purchase and, or that fell through. And, you know, it should be a simple matter for me to get the money I'm owed back and yet I'm being told it's two to three years because there's just such a log jam in the courts and a shortage of judges so and this is like provincial and federal is they need to get off their rears and they need to appoint people and it is absolutely like it's not okay because what's happening instead is people are who people are much more serious crimes and much more serious issues than what I'm dealing with um are, they're, you know, they're getting off because they, you know, we've been incarcerated for this long or whatever, so this is actually a huge crisis that continues to go and yeah, it's a well-paying, good job So just appoint the people that want the damn position. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean,
1: Shelley, I got friends who are lawyers who desperately want to be judges. I I just don't get this.
2: Yeah, this is—it's become a long process, and you know, it's that mysterious world of human resources management these days that it takes so long to do it. But it's partly because this is one of those roles that governments can't just do. Patronage appointments—you can't just appoint your friends. You got to go through the qualification thing. You got to have everyone. You can bedded. still appoint your friends. So it's a, it's a well, it's a long process, but they do have to be qualified. And there've been a number of test cases of judges being found to be, you know, grossly underqualified for today's, uh, 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 you know, equity and anti-racism policies. And so they've got to go through a rigorous process. And you—you you can't drop the ball on this. You can't say we're just going to not do any for six months. You really should have an ongoing hiring. Strategy strategy to meet the demographics and the needs. But that seems to be
0: what's going on at both levels of government is they're
2: just not appointing anybody yeah.
0: and everything's backing up and everyone just seems to be like, yeah, that's a problem and we move on. Yeah. It's like you healthcare. Can't set Healthcare's is um, not working yeah. right now. You can't, you know, hospital waiting times keep getting worse. And governments like to come out and cut ribbons on, hey, look what we're doing over here. How about y'all stop announcing new things until you get the core basic services that we need to keep the society and the democracy running, you know, actually running. MPPs have not
1: had a raise since 2008. Uh, Robert, are you feeling for them? I mean, arguably,
0: they are relative to their colleagues. They're not particularly well. Played. I mean, you hear the headline and you're not like, man, can we start a GoFundMe? Is there something we can do? But it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and it sets it up as this political time bomb for everybody because then nobody can touch it. And you end up with the situation you have with 24 Sussex where it's just going to fall over because nobody wants to spend the money on it. Because nobody wants to see to be seen to be doing something for themselves. So I think they need to fix it. But also, uh and Shelley, you and I were talking about this before we yeah. came in and I was thinking about this morning. Doug Ford has a lot of people uh like a record number of people in his party who are um have other jobs, right? They're ministers or they're That's secretaries right. of this. So everybody gets a pay bump, right? So they kind of find ways around it because the last government had a lot too. Um, it would be better if we just had a, you know, fix it, figure out what the number should be, lock it in, and while we're at it, move the sunshine list number to be something meaningful.
1: Yeah. I mean, Shelley, you ran for Queen's Park. You would have taken a pay cut.
2: Well, no, I would not have. What I was told, I, I sat down with a couple of MPPs to say, what's the workload, should I do this? And what I was told was that as when I walked in the door, I would be given a certain number of committee responsibilities, and what I would make was about 140. Okay. no one ever I, I don't know who makes the base pay um, and and so you know they do have these uh, added responsibilities and, and not just Doug Ford each premier adds a few more yeah. it has been going on for a long time but I, I, I take uh, issue with uh, Rob's uh, 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 Roberts uh, uh, lock it in. This is why I like the policy that we have at City Council that we adopted years and years and years ago. Take it out of being a political football. Just do, if you have a, a cost of living policy, there's nothing to argue about here. It is what it is. It's no more, it's no less. There's no bonusing. There's no add this amount for that committee or whatever. We only have one place where that happens. That's for the Regional Conservation Authority. That's their choice. It's enough to cover your gas. But our salaries, our salaries, Salary is our salary, all in, and it's there in the sunshine list every year, and so uh, we just move on.
1: Thank you all. Good to have you, Amanda Galbraith, Robert Turner, and Shelley Carroll. Coming up in the next half hour, the nineteen or the twenty nineteen Raptors are no more now that Pascal Siakam is gone. You know. <laughs> You're grieving that, Shelley.
2: Do you know, I didn't find out. I, I was so busy with budget yesterday, I didn't know this was going on and I sat down and seconds before they said you're live on the mayor's town hall, yeah. uh, city manager Paul Johnson made a joke about Pascal Siakam and, and everyone was looking and I and I said, What what what's happening? What is happening? <laughs> I was nearly hysterical and then they said, You're live. <laughs>
1: Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday
0: mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010, Toronto.